Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick, and we are back. The season's getting closer. If you're like me, you know, you're starting to get that itch a little bit. Here we are, just turning the corner into the first of September. Um, I'm sure some of you guys are probably heading out to shoot some doves, teal. Um, I see a lot of archery season starting to open up. Um, so yeah, it's getting exciting. I've, uh, just over the last couple of weeks, I've started to get the itch a little bit. Um, it's getting closer. It's getting closer this time of year. I really love the anticipation of the, the upcoming coyote killing season is, is getting closer. So I'm pumped. Um, you know, this episode we're, we're going to talk about land access, you know, a good buddy of mine, Brett Rye, um, hunted coyotes with Brett a lot of years. We've hunted a lot of contests together. Um, you know, it seems like lately we get together with our boys now, his, his boys old enough now to start shooting coyotes. And, um, we do more of that now than probably the contest stuff, but, um, you know, he has a unique job, um, that, that allows him to gain probably access to some places that maybe some others can't, you know, so thought it'd be great to have him on to talk about, um, gaining access to land. How much land do you really need to be a successful coyote hunter all season long? I think a lot of guys that are new to coyote hunting really underestimate that. So we're going to discuss that. So it should be fun. Um, Brett's character. So should be, should be a good one. So stay tuned for him coming up but before we get to that. Uh, need to thank the sponsors of this episode, which are Onyx Hunt and Swagger Bipods. Now, this this episode is all about land access, so it's only fitting that Onyx is is one of the sponsors. You know, we're going to talk a lot about that, how we use Onyx. Um, you know, with saving waypoints for stands and outlining property boundaries and all the stuff that we can do with that. Um, just a matter of fact, the other day I noticed that my subscription had ran out, so had to re up that, so I had access to all my stuff again. Um, because like I said, I got the itch a couple weeks ago. So I started actually going back through looking at properties, looking at maybe some potential new properties, because this is the time to, to really be, you know, maybe knocking on doors and finding new spots for the upcoming season. So I'm assuming at this point, probably if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know about Onyx, I, I doubt that's the case, you know? So, um, you know, it's a huge tool for what I use, you know? So, you know, download the app on your phone, Onyx Hunt. Um, you can go to their website as well. There are a lot of new features, some that I don't even know about that I'm kind of looking forward to kind of figuring out maybe a little more this year, uh, that they, they, they just keep adding stuff with 3d mapping and new folders for overlaying stuff. Uh, you know, lots of cool features. There lots of, lots of tools and things that, uh, you know, can help you become a more successful cow hunter. So, um, download the app on X hunt. You can go over to their website onxhunt.com Um, and you can check out, uh, how that's going to make you a better coyote hunter. Now, Second sponsor, Swagger Bipods. Um, also fitting as well, you know. I'm gonna Brett's gonna get hooked up with a set of those at the end of the show. Um, you know, for them sponsoring this episode as well. Uh, a lot of people ask me which ones I use. I use the Hunter 42s. Um, you know, they do make 129, but here's the reason I use the 42. It gets the, the leg is essentially 13 inches longer. Um, if you're hunting with any type of terrain. Uh, meaning you're going to be sitting on potentially side hills, you're going to want the longer leg. Um, if you hunt off a chair that sits you up off the ground a little bit, you're probably going to want the 42s just so you have the access, you know, the the capabilities of lengthening the leg if you need to um, as well. Um, you know, the 129s for me, if you're always sitting on flat ground, maybe you're a smaller person, maybe for kids, the 129 is going to be work, but really there's really not much extra weight between the 42s and the 29s. The leg sticks out just a little bit longer from the housing. That's it. 
Um, so you really won't notice the difference. So, you know, why not? Why not have the the capabilities of, of a longer leg, especially down the road, if you get into a stand and you need it, you know, uh, that's the worst case is getting into that stand and, and needing that longer leg, but not having it. So, um, you know, and stand by, we're going to actually have uh, Josh Kinzer with Swagger uh, coming up on an upcoming episode. So um, I'm anxious to get with him and, and get kind of the backstory on how Swagger was developed and some of the new things that they got coming out too. So um, in the meantime, you can go over to SwaggerBipods.com. You can enter the promo code. I'll give this away to you. It's Coyote Craze 25 um, and that'll give you 25% off a regular priced Swagger item at, uh, at checkout. So Need a bipod? This is the time. It's time. It's starting. It's time to get out there and start shooting a little bit. So we're ready. Um, you know, you need to be shooting off that that bipod system or whatever you're going to be using. So uh, head over to SwaggerBipods.com and see what all they have to offer. Well, Mister Brett Rye, welcome to the podcast, man. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a long time. You know, we've we've made quite a few stands together. A lot of windshield time sitting in the truck since the start of this podcast, and we always talked about it, but. I figured we'd wait till the heat of the summer to get on this thing and talk about killing coyotes. Yeah, we, uh, a lot of windshield time. There's a lot of times in the truck with each other, smelling each other's farts in there. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm sure nobody really wanted to know that, but yeah, <laughs> that is the realization of, uh, spending time in a truck coyote hunting. <laughs> yep. Sure. Uh, Man, I tell you, you know, I'm sure you're in the same boat as me. I know, you know, we're going to kind of get into your profession and kind of how it all relates to land access and things like that. But, you know, you have a similar job to me. You're outside dealing with the heat. Are you to the point yet where you're you're starting to think about shooting coyotes yet? Or are you still not in that mode yet? Now, it's funny you ask that because just in the last week, I've started thinking about, you know, the, it's getting cooler at night and started thinking about hunting coyotes and even some of the ranchers that I deliver to are starting to starting to bother me about coyote hunting you know so it's kind of it's kind of that time of year you just get the itch yeah I'm the same I you know I was up maybe a couple weeks ago I wasn't wasn't really thinking about it and then it's just like a switch goes on and it's like all right man you got to start it's just non-stop now kind of you know the countdown you know I, I always love this time of year you know I I know there's a lot of guys out there that hunt coyotes year round, but for me, that anticipation, you know, is like, I'm sure it's with you, you know, you do a lot of fishing too. So I'm sure it's, the, you have that to look for, you know, as soon as the coyote season's done, you start looking forward to the ice melting so you can get in the boat, you know, kind of the same thing, I bet. Yeah, it's kind of that way. One thing I noticed this time of year, it's, you know, it's just, you see the doves flying around and, you know, it's just kind of. brings in hunting season when september 1st rolls around yeah it's it's time it's time well before we dive into this land access deal and kind of your profession and how this all ties in together kind of a a running standard here on the podcast when i have a new guest on is to to tell the story of the first coyote that you ever killed think you can even remember back that far or that might actually not even have been that long ago well, it was 2009. You know, that's when I first started hunting coyotes. I wouldn't, I was 33 years old before I started shooting coyotes. And I'd never, I'd never actually been on a stand before. And the guy I worked with, Travis, he, he'd been hunting coyotes most of his life. And he hunted that Midwest coyote calling contest down there in St. Louis, France, or yeah, St. Francis. St. Yeah. Yeah. He, his partner for 
he'd been hunting with a guy for a couple of years and he couldn't make it that year. So he asked me to hunt and I said, well, Travis, you know, I don't, I've never called coyotes in before. To me, coyote hunt was always, always the guy that lived in the trailer outside of town with no teeth and bullet. <laughs> no, you're close, right? <laughs> We're not a, too far off from that. <laughs> so anyway, I, I reluctantly said yes. And, you know, I, I didn't even own a, a small arms rifle. So I had to borrow a 243 and uh, it was an AR and the thing was like carrying a 50 cal machine gun in on a stand there. <laughs> you know, I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with it. And uh, we, we were like, I don't know, it was end of the day. We had killed a couple of coyotes, but it was the end of the day and I had missed a couple of coyotes. So I wasn't feeling too good about myself and thought, well, I'm not sure if this is really what, what I want to do. And, uh, so we, we made the call and I was on that. I was on the mouth call, just making all kinds of noises. And, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Cause at that point, what do you do? You know? Oh yeah. You got coyotes at the end of the day and you're pretty much out of it. So I'm squealing on this thing and a coyote runs out of this draw. And he's out there about 150 and I, I sent one downwind at him and. I was he like running away from the sound you were making or. Uh... Well, I think he. <laughs> at a bowl and he stopped out there in the middle of the draw to see what was going on and oh, I, I flung one out there at him and missed him and then travis travis flung one out there and missed and we shot at him a few times running out and i guess we both kind of looked at each other and kind of thought well this stands over you know we made enough noise and i stood up to stood up to to leave and i turned i kind of pivoted to my right and was kind of slinging the gun over my shoulder and there was this coyote about 15 yards from me standing on this knob looking at Travis walking out. <laughs> Jeez. So I, and so I got him in a scope freehanded, just dropped him right there. But to make a long story short, that coyote weighed 14.1 pounds. And that we, <laughs> we won all dog with that coyote in that tournament. A true so that's giant. Kind of, that's kind of the, kind of the way my, my story has gone is, I'm known for killing dumb, small coyotes. That's kind of <laughs> way it's been. So you didn't even add in, I, I just caught it there at the end, that your first time ever killing a coyote was actually in a coyote contest, too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I was wondering, I, I, I had always kind of known that, that, that that's kind of what drew you to coyote hunting was the coyote contest side of things. Like, I know, I know you've always fished, you know, you'd done a lot yeah, of fishing tournaments. Was that kind of like, you thought, you know what, I'm always doing these fishing tournaments. Why not try to go compete doing some coyote stuff? Well, after that, after that coyote tournament, we got up the next morning and I grabbed my seven mag and we shot five that next morning. I think I shot two of them. And I realized that it wasn't the gun. It was me. I needed to, to revamp some things. And uh, I realized that I could be better at this than I thought. And, you know, coming from the fishing side of things, I'm pretty, pretty precise. So from that point on, I started honing my skills and, and doing things to, to get better. And, you know, just kind of evolved into a, into a tournament hunter. And I like the competition. I like, I like the, like you said earlier, the month before hunting season, it's kind of that preparation time, you know, that, that, that to me is the most important part of hunting is the preparation for a tournament to preparing to go and get things in order. So that's where, that's kind of where that ends up for me. Yeah. And that's actually how I met you. You know, I don't even know what year that was. 
um, probably somewhere right around there, 2009, 2010, you know, was through coyote contests. I mean, a bunch of guys that I consider good friends, you know, you're one on a list of, of guys that I've met through coyote contests, you know? Um, so yeah, we could talk the whole damn thing on coyote contests. You know, you and I've done and the boys and, and stuff have done coyote contest, you know, the, uh, the Wyoming best of the best, uh, some other ones like that, you know, <clears throat> where we've traveled around and, you know, put on the miles, you know, but, uh, you know, a lot of that though, you know, the crazy thing about contest hunting to start with, you know, you probably got a real good feel early on of how important the land that you're hunting is. Right. And the amount of access and the amount of ground it really takes to, to kill coyotes consistently, um, you know, and everything that's involved with that. So yeah, that that turn that actual tournament I was talking about, it was I had the, the job on that first day on that Saturday just to line up all the ground and it was a bunch of ranchers that I uh, delivered to, and, you know I didn't really I didn't really go out there and survey it too much. I just kind of went along the roads and we went over that hill and you know made a call or whatever. But it wasn't until later that I realized that you know it you kind of got to get a little more you got to get a little more into the ground and you got to get a little more land together and make your stands closer, you know, and that, that kind of stuff. So to back up a little bit, you know, let's talk about your job. You're a rural route. Would, would you consider that a rural route UPS driver? Is that what yeah. you consider? Yeah, you that's know? what I do. By the way, uh, on a side note, that was a pretty wild video you sent me this morning about, uh, <laughs> the cow up on the uh, porch of the house when you're trying to deliver the package (laughs) i heard i got out of the truck there was already a calf running around in the yard and you know the cows on the other side of the fence were just going crazy because i don't know mama cow is looking for her calves and i got up there to the to the deck and there's this cow standing there there was this bike on the like a like those stationary bikes that you ride you know for fat people like me so (laughs) he had that thing knocked over and was just you could tell he'd done a number on that deck and the lady inside she had broke her broke her foot she couldn't come out because you know she couldn't come out the door she had a broken foot and that cow was just standing there and so i go up on that deck and tried to shoo him off and he what he did was he jumped over the rail and that top rail on that deck was probably six feet off the ground it's a wonder that cow didn't break his leg going that far when jumping over that rail <laughs> it was quite the sight it wasn't very <laughs> you never know what you're going to see you've sent me some pretty wild videos over the over the years you know with you know how many miles you know so you know explain your job real quick you know you're out on on county roads rural you know farm country ranch country i mean how many miles are you putting on a day so i'm putting on anywhere from 300 to 350 miles a day i think today i put on 323 and I would say 90% of that is dirt, all farm ground, all ranch ranchers, you know, you know where it is. Yeah. You know, North Colorado. Oh, yeah. So essentially you're out scouting for coyotes every day. <laughs> oh, you know, one of the things when it, antelope hunting, I never, I never hunt more than 30 minutes for antelope because I know exactly where they're at at all times. So just go out there and shoot one and go on home. <laughs> yeah. That's it's always done. That's the joys of my job. They kind of pay me to scout, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, it's, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, from, 
from a standpoint of lining up getting permission to hunt, you know, private ground. I mean, you have the ultimate job, man. I don't know if there's a be- would be a better profession out there for lining up coyote ground than what you have. Yeah, it's really kind of neat because, you know, you get a rapport going with some of these ranchers and, you know, you get to know them a little bit. And, you know, my my first question when I want a coyote hunt is I always ask, I say, you got anybody coyote hunting on you? You know, it's usually they'll say, well, my grandson or somebody or, you know, somebody from the front range comes over and hunts. And, but most of the time, they're pretty open to me coming out hunting. So, and I think that has to do with me getting to know them. They know my routine as a, as a UPS driver. They realize I'm not, not a bad guy. I don't think, you know, <laughs> I guess the only downside is you're making the same route every day though. Right. So about every, what, every, every six months, every year, you need to request for a new route somewhere else, you know, and then go back eventually, or how's that work? Well, if it worked that way, it might, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm out my route that route I'm on now. It, you know that that's that uh, north of north of Highway 14 stuff. It's it's a lot of a lot of flat. Some of it's flat, some of tilly. You know, I don't I don't get out that way to hunt much. That's more of your territory over there. Yeah, I mean it's diverse. You know, I want to back up though real quick. You know, you made a you made a good comment about talking to the rancher or the the landowner, the farmer. To me, that's that's a huge part of it, and I think. You know, there's maybe some guys listening that are getting into hunting, maybe getting into coyote hunting, and they just are probably a little unsure of, you know, or nervous about going and talking to these landowners, um, you know, but you made some good points. Just, you know, be friendly, introducing yourself, you know, what you're going to do, asking about other coyote hunters on the property. You know, I'm the same way as you. If they tell me they have family that hunts it, stuff like I usually is like, hey, you know what, no, no problem at all. You know, let your let your kids, your family, whoever hunt it, you know. Um, but you know, you ask enough questions and you develop that rapport, you know, pretty soon, you know, you get into a spot and you know, that's really all it takes, right? I mean, one getting permission in one spot, whether they have 40 acres or 40,000 acres, it doesn't really matter. You know, that's getting your foot in the door and then you can develop that relationship with them. And then before you know it, you know, you kill some coyotes and they talk to their neighbor and man, now all of a sudden now you, you line up that spot and it kind of uh, is almost like a chain reaction. Yeah. It's kind of been my MO is, you know, I get, get a report going with the ranchers and, you know, it doesn't just end at the, once they give you permission, it doesn't just end, you know, it's like I got some of them, I go and I, I help them brand calves and some of them, I just, you know, they call me up, say, Hey, I got a couple of coyotes or I got some prairie dogs out there that need to be, you know, dispatched or whatever. And, just doesn't end there you got to keep a relationship going further down the line and a lot of times what i'll do is even after i hunt on them we we get a pile of coyotes in the back of the truck we always take a picture i'll send them a picture say hey you know here's the coyotes we killed in your area today thanks for letting me hunt you know that kind of stuff so yeah that actually happened that hunt we had uh, when we took your son elliot a couple of my boys out last uh, winter uh that coyote i think that elliot killed um, you guys stopped back by the house or called them after the fact. And we stopped in there actually. And, uh, yeah, she was pretty excited that we got, you know, some of these ranchers think they got a, or farmers think they got a million coyotes and they might only have a couple, but you know, you know, you kill that one coyote and they're all excited. Like, all right, that's the one that's been, you know, causing us problems, you know, great job. And 
you know, then you're pretty much in at that point. Yeah. I think I, I sent that gal a picture and uh, told her that my son had killed it, which that guy was probably three miles from her house, but we still stopped in there and she gave him 20 bucks for, for killing that coyote. But I mean, <laughs> he made more money for money than I did. <laughs> that $20 bill. Yeah. That's, so. that was, that was great. That was great. You know, let's talk a little bit about size of properties. Um, you know, cause to me, this is, this is a big deal. You know, out in our country, you know, people, you know, where we're at in northern Colorado, western Nebraska, we're still deal. you know, we're dealing with bigger cattle ranches. Um, but there's also a lot of smaller chunks, right? You know, if you're listening to this and you're what I consider the Midwest, you know, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, that kind of country, even further east, it, it's broken up in even smaller chunks, you know. So, you know, you have a little bit of both, right? I mean, you find you're not a, you're not only looking for big ranches, right? You're looking for anything that gets your foot in the door that gives you access to make it at, at least one stand you're in. Yeah. I don't really look for big ranches anymore. I find that the bigger ranches, the cows really kind of concentrated in one area. So you're, you're wasting a lot of time calling coyotes in places where there may not be any coyotes it's, you know, these sections we got a mile section i think it's like 444 acres or something like that 640 yeah 640 anyway you know you call a section there's either a coyote in there or there's not if there's not you move on to the next session you know and you can kind of you can drive by places and look and say hey you know there's probably a coyote out there and you know it's pretty easy that way if you if you break it down into smaller sections instead of trying to find this big ranch with 30 stands on it, you know, and you know, you're driving through the pasture. It takes you longer to get through the pasture than it does to go down the County road two miles to hit the next section, you know? Yeah. Especially if you're on time crunch. Yeah. I mean, each, each, each scenario poses its challenges. Um, you know, each scenario has its, its benefits. I mean, you take a, you take a big ranch. I mean, I hear from, guys that consider themselves Eastern coyote hunters all the time. And they're like, boy, you know, you guys are so lucky. You have these big chunks and we're not just talking big private ranches. We're even talking, even go further West into Wyoming, Nevada, Arizona, where we have these huge, massive chunks of, of public land too. Right. Um, and you hit the nail on the head, you know, there's not a coyote hiding behind every yucca bush or every sagebrush, you know, and that's the challenge of these big ranches is, you know, you pull into the ranch, I can make a stand over there, over there, over there. I mean, you draw a, a radius three or four or five miles out, I can make a stand anywhere there that I want. But where do you make a stand, right? Um, you know, that is where the challenge is at, that, you know, how do you pick that, you know, take <clears throat> six sections, you know, six square miles of country, that would be a smaller ranch. But, you know, where are you going to make specific stands within that six sections, um, you know, looking at probabilities and the cover and, and where the coyotes are going to be. And, and it's a challenge sometimes, right? You know, a lot of times we end up blanketing the, the, the area with just a series of stands because you don't know exactly where, you know, the best chance of those coyotes. And like you said, you waste a lot of time driving, getting to those stands. Where on the flip side, you start dealing with these small chunks of land, your decision's already made for you, right? Like you have you have one choice. It's either I go right there and make that stand or I keep going down the road. And to me, you know, it's no different than when I hunt with Rick out in eastern Kansas. The 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 train and the, the areas cut up, you know, dirt roads every mile and things like that. 
So, <clears throat> you know, but the challenge of that is, you know, if they only own 40 acres or maybe a quarter section or whatever it is, you know, you have to understand that the coyotes are coming from potentially other other properties, right, that you're calling in, and you might not have the the knowledge of those areas as far as if there's other people hunting, um, what kind of pressure maybe some of those other coyotes have seen. That's kind of the downside to those smaller sections. But like you said, you can put together a plan and boom, boom, boom. You can knock, even having, you know, smaller places like that, you can still knock out, you know, 16, 18, 20 stands a day with the right plan. Yeah, one of the things that I deal with in my country is it's kind of wind driven. You know, I'm not, I don't, I don't really look for coyotes too much. I look for stands in the section from each direction the wind can come from. Cause there's a lot of stands that I got that aren't good from a North North wind. And I got, I got a string of stands that are good from South wind. So I'll look at the, I'll look at the wind the day before and I can string together 20 stands for a good South wind or a good North wind. And you've been in our country, you, you know how it lays out, you know, there might be a hill on the, the East side of the section, which is good for a North wind but not on the west side of the section. So, you know, it's just, that's the way our, it's the way it lays out sometimes. Yeah. And access too, right? I mean, sometimes you might not have access to get around to the, the side that you need to be on with one particular wind direction, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot of it too. Like, where do you think the coyote's going to be in that section? Where can I get to, to make the stand based off of that wind direction? Can I even get access into there? Right. Sometimes there's a road on every side of the section. You can get to where you want, but sometimes, you know, it may be a block of maybe four sections or something, right? And the only way to get to that other side is to basically drive right through where you think the coyote's going to be, which is obviously not going to be great, um, especially in this big open country where the coyotes are going to see the truck, you know, and take off running. But, yeah, it's it's unique, you know, the different challenges that each each pose. And that's, you know, you, you mentioned the truck. That's That's a whole issue in itself. That's a whole issue. Just trying to hide the truck at times. It's just, <laughs> you got to get really creative at times. Hide the truck. Yeah. Big open country, man. I mean, I tell you, you know, the challenges of each, you know, obviously walking, getting into the stand without the coyote, seeing you, you know, getting to where you're going to park the truck, you know? Yeah. I mean, those are all challenges that, you know, it's not all gravy with big open Western, you know, coyote country. You know, this year is going to be good though, because we got such, tall weeds and everything it, it'll be pretty easy to, to hide the truck and get into some places you haven't been in a few years because weeds are going to be so tall that you can get in those spots and get have some good cover behind you yeah that's another cool variable that changes from year to year you know you may have a property that you've hunted for a long time and yeah like this year we've had kind of record amounts of rain since spring you know like like you said there's crazy vegetation now um you know the shotgun hunting is going to be probably pretty good. <laughs> I think, you know, but yeah. The other thing you got to deal with is, is crops. Cause every out here, you know, I'm not a farmer, so I don't, I don't know how they do this, but it seems to me like if they plant wheat one year, they'll let it sit for the next year in that field. And then the field, the quarter section next to them, they'll plant wheat, you know? So every other year you got a section of the just flip flops, you know, some years they may put corn in there, you know, so you got to be aware of the, the crop going in because I got some stands where I know not to go there during the year because it's just straight bare field at time at times. And then the next year it's got knee high wheat that's been cut, you know. Oh, yeah. Good old stubble field coyotes, man. 
Yep. <clears throat> well, let's let's dive a little bit deeper. I know you do this, you know, on on your Onyx. You know, you plot out stands, right? Kind of where, because because a lot of your properties are, you know, off the top of your head, just roughly, are you guessing how many different landowners? Would you say you have permission on? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I counted Just rough, rough shoot it, rough shoot it. I don't know. I counted it, all the stands got on my on my Onyx, and I think I was at two hundred and sixty-seven stands. So, you know, that's that's a whole lot of stands, and that's a whole lot of landowners, and I don't know, maybe one hundred fifty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I have, I want I want to back up. I'm going to tell a quick little story here that kind of. I think a lot of coyote hunters, this is this is one of the major challenges to somebody that's fairly new to coyote hunting that it's hard for them to understand, especially if they're like a deer hunter. I mean, let's take let's take deer hunting, for example. You can have a 40-acre lease, right, with your deer stand in it, and you can go hunt deer there every day of the deer season, right? I mean, you're, ho you're hoping for the deer to come under the stand. You could have a duck lease, and you could go sit in that duck blind or that goose pit every single day of the waterfowl season and shoot birds, you know? that's where the difference is with with coyote hunting and a lot of the other types of hunting that people they try to relate it to the same right like and and what ends up happening is people end up in my opinion over hunting the place you know and that's the difference between coyotes and where you're just the movement of those animals you know if you're talking about deer you're hoping that they're going to cruise underneath your tree stand or come by your blind waterfowl you know the birds are constantly moving coming in and out throughout the season um, and you're taking advantage of that, but the coyotes are, you know, they're moving within that area. That coyote's probably not going to leave that area for the most part until you kill him. You know, maybe a new one moves in, maybe a transient coyote or something maybe moves through uh, throughout the season, but you're essentially hunting that same coyote, right? Yeah. So, so here's a rule of thumb for me is I got some stands that I hit two, maybe three times a year, but I kind of figure that there's probably one coyote in each section. That's kind of my mentality. And there's some areas where if you go in and kill a coyote, I probably won't go back there that year. I'll wait till next year. But I do have out of that out of those 200 some stands, there's probably only about 80 that are I would say oh I lost you, buddy. Technical difficulties. transit coyote might have been a might have been his territory i don't know so i lost you i'm part of that dude you cut out technical difficulties oh sorry about that <laughs> what did, where did you end up on that right when you said transient coyote oh about going back to a spot you know potentially multiple times and killing coyotes probably out of there you know multiple times in the same season out of the same stand yeah yeah they're I think I, what I was saying was that, you know, the stands were that aren't so great. You go in there and you kill one coyote. I probably won't go back to those stands. You know, it might've been a coyote that was making his home in there. It could have been a transient coyote coming through. But like I said, there's a lot of stands where I, I got enough ground that sometimes I don't even, I don't even hit it all and go back every other year, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And it's good to have that amount of ground. It, it gets overwhelming at times because I feel like I've wasted it or, you know, but there's always going to be coyotes. So, well, for you, it's all about it. If the ice fishing gets really good come January, you know, then you're going to make less coyote stands the rest of the year. 
Well, when you got fair weather coyote hunter, that's what I call that. <laughs> when you got four snow on the ground, it's real hard to hunt coyotes. So, <laughs> so this real quick story I want to tell just kind of relates to the the misunderstanding about this. So, um, I have a guy I know. He's uh, he's actually a pitcher in the MLB. He he went through Tommy John surgery a while back, so he's actually down in Arizona going through his rehab. Well, um, he's kind of killing time, right? I mean, he's rehabbing part of the day, but he's a big bird hunter. Well, <clears throat> through talking to me, he kind of got this this idea that he wanted to go try and shoot some coyotes. I'd never coyote hunted before, so he went uh, he went and bought a Lucky Duck Revolt. Um, I kind of got him on the same page, and I said he asked me what he needed to do. Like this, he has never hunted coyotes, so. I basically, in a in a couple text messages, I sent him a little recipe as far as what sound he needed to play for how long and then what the next sound was for how long and how long to sit there and what he needed to look for as far as just walking in and setting up. All he has is a shotgun down there with him, which is perfect for that Arizona country anyway. And I kind of sent him on his way, and, he's, and it wasn't like two days later, he sends me a picture of a dead coyote with like this hole blown through it. And I was like, holy crap, that was coyote was pretty close if he blew a hole that big in it with a shotgun. Well, he says, man, that was the most fun I've ever had. He said, I, I called in this coyote and shot it at eight yards. And then I called in another coyote that I missed. And I called in a bobcat that I didn't even see. You know, I, I saw for just a, a split second and it was gone in the brush. And I thought, holy crap, that, that was quick, man. This guy got a taste really quick. And then like two days later, he sends me another message, man, I, I killed two more coyotes this afternoon when I went out. And I was like, holy cow, man. And I was like, you're tearing it up. And then a few days go by and I don't hear from him. And then he's like, you know, maybe a week later, he's like, um, I don't know what's wrong, man. I'm not killing any more coyotes. And I said, and I asked him, I said, so I kind of started asking him a few questions. Well, he had been going back to the same little chunk of land every single time he was going out coyote hunting. And I, I, I'm guessing from the first two times where he killed coyotes, he didn't quite hunt the whole place, but it wasn't very big. And then finally, you know, a week later after he'd killed coyotes, he was going back to the same stuff. And then all of a sudden now he's either killed the coyotes or they're smart now, you know, um, and he, he just didn't understand the concept. So I had to explain to him to, hey, you know. This takes a lot of access, a lot of you just it's not like going and shooting doves and pigeons and ducks and stuff. You just can't keep going back to the same spot over and over expecting to to continually kill coyotes, you know. Um, so to me, that was that hit the nail on the head as far as I think what a lot of guys that are new to coyote hunting kind of expect or underestimate with coyote hunting. Yeah, you know, for me, it's a month in between before I'll go back between stands. Yeah, it's probably might be two weeks to a week too long. I don't know, but I just kind of like to give it some time to to rest up, you know, and whatever coyotes you did educate in there, you know, it gives them time to kind of regain their composure again. And maybe next time you come in, you can get those again, get those come back in and shoot them, you know? Yeah. You know, when I'm teaching my classes and things like that, my, the rule of thumb I give people is this. I said, you know, like you talked about, you have all your stands plotted out on Onyx, right? I said, go through plot your stands out all right come up with a number how many how many accessible stands you have i know obviously some stands are going to be good for this direction of wind not not every stand is going to be good for every direction but just count up the total amount of stands you have okay write that number on a piece of paper then in your mind 
you know, if you take the, the coyote hunting months, right? October, November, December, January, February, just go through, you know what your schedule is. You know how much coyote hunting you're going to be able to do and just come up with a rough number of how many coyote stands are you going to be able to make in a month? Okay. So let's say you're, you know, you got a family, you're like, man, I'm going to probably get out for maybe a couple, couple afternoons, a couple mornings, you know, so maybe four half days a month and I'm going to make like five or six stands, you know, each time. So now I'm sitting at, okay, I'm going to make like 20, 24, 25 stands a month. I, a, a simple solution to figure out, you know, how many, how, how much area do I need? Just double that. Right. And, and that gives you a bare minimum. You know, you need to have at least 50 stands, you know, in your stand database, right? So the idea idea being like you said, you know, I, if I hunt 25 stands in month one in a perfect world, then I come hunt the, the second group of 25 stands in month two. And then it's not till month three that I have to start hunting those stands again for the second time of the season, right? And then, you know, as that four or five month coyote season goes, you know, ultimately the goal, yours is the same as mine. You know, if I can hit that stuff two, three times, that's really what I'm looking to looking to hit it. You know, once early, you know, early on in the fall, the coyotes start dispersing a little bit. Things change a little bit towards that middle part of winter. You go back through there and then maybe when, when the dynamic changes even a little bit more in February with breeding season, then maybe I go back and hit it one last time before I hang it up for the season. Um, you know, but that's, that's kind of an easy rule of thumb, you know, figure out how many stands you're going to make a month you know, double that. And that's the bare minimum. All right. Like you said, the ultimate goal is to have enough stands where I can make one a year and be done. Right. And then you have options on, on top of options when dealing with wind directions and, uh, you know, obviously hunting pressure from other people that, cause you're not going to be the only one that's probably hunting coyotes on these places and things like that. Yeah. I, what I noticed is anymore is when I go out, I just hit the good stuff and leave the bad stuff for later. And hopefully I don't have to go back to the bad <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you know, I saved, I saved the real best stuff for, you know, for my good friends. Like when you come down and yeah, great come down and, you know, it's got a couple other guys to take out, but yeah, I got two or three runs that I make and you can kill nine to 10 coyotes a day on it. And I find myself just doing that and having a good time, you know, a couple times a month and, that's good for me anymore, you know, especially since, you know, we got these liberal laws down here in Colorado. They don't let us hunt coyotes in tournaments anymore. So I don't have to save any of it for, for the contests. Yeah. That was always a unique thing, right? Like when you're hunting coyotes and, and you're wanting to hunt in these contests, but you knew that like this big contest was coming up in January and you're like, you know what, in order to compete, you know, I have to be able to save some country somehow. Um, and that's a long time to try to sit on ground. Right. And then the day your contest comes up, the wind's blowing 30 or there's a foot of snow and you can't get anywhere, you know, and you're like, damn, I saved all this for this and it's not even worth it. <laughs> yeah. The one thing, one thing, my, me and my partner, Jason, we used to get so irritated because we'd have to save our ground till, you know, like first of December or January. And we were ready to coyote hunt in middle October, all through November. And that's some of the best, the best coyote hunting is right in November, you know? Yeah. And we, we were sitting there on the couch watching football, going twiddling our thumbs, saving our best stuff for a tournament in a month, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's unique. You know, You every property is a little bit different too. You know, if you talk about, you know, there's, you know, 
you talk about in, in parts of the country, there's feedlots, there's hog farms, um, you know, down in Rick's country, they got chicken farms, you know, not supposed to talk about farms or feedlots. That's kind of giving it away a little bit. Well, but, it, but it's an important piece, right? Like <laughs> it'd be like, it'd be like you as a fisherman going out and finding a rock point, just loaded with walleyes and saying, Oh, you can't fish there because that structure is unfair because it attracts more walleyes. Right. Yeah, no, there's no secret where there's no secret where I'm hunting these days, <laughs> you know. So, and that's you know, and those those kind of things are all over the country, right? And as a matter of fact, the Arizona story that I told you, the the property that this guy was hunting, he was out there shooting pigeons, and I asked him, I said, I said, how'd you find this place? And he's like, well, I come out here and I, uh, they put the little spinning wing, little dove decoys, and they shoot all these pigeons, right? Because um, there's no season on them and stuff like that. And I said. I asked him, I said, were you at a feedlot? And he's like, yeah, there's a feedlot right here. And I'm like, and he's like, that's where I went and called coyotes. There was a bunch of brush and desert country right behind the feedlot. And I said, I said, well, hell, you hit the nail on the head, man. I said, that's, you know, that's, that's a great spot because you just get a faster influx of, of new coyotes coming into areas like that. Right. Um, because there's this external food source carrying capacities higher in those areas because of that, um, you know, so those stands, Right. I mean, those I have stands like that where you can make them every month if you wanted to. And you can kill coyotes just because there's there's a faster influx of new coyotes moving in and out. Whereas, you know, a section out in the middle of BFE, you know, you kill the one lone coyote out of that. You know, there's only going to be new coyotes moving in if there's excess amount of coyotes in the surrounding sections, which there might not be. Right. So it's 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 a unique thing there too when you look at your stands and how long you should wait um there's not a really always a clear-cut answer so i have have a story about that i watched this coyote i drove by this feedlot every day for you know going to going to ray where i used to work where i used to deliver uh ups down there and there was this feedlot and i saw this coyote every day he did the same pass at nine o'clock he left the dead pit and he went into this wheat field and then at three o'clock when I come back by, he was going back to that dead pit. <laughs> well, I had a tournament, and um, the only way I could get to that coyote was if I parked off off the highway and I jumped over the railroad tracks and I got on a piece of public ground that he was crossing. And I had to catch him while he was, you know, somewhere in there because I didn't know exactly where he was laying down. So we went in there, and we called. I stuck that call out, and that and the coyote popped up immediately. And he was I just laying there in the stubble. Yeah, just laying there in a stubble. Well, it wasn't that coyote. It was a different coyote. <laughs> that coyote. That coyote that I had been seeing for two months, he had changed his pattern. I don't know when he had changed his pattern, sometime right before that tournament. But he was going, he was traveling east every morning. Well, he started traveling west at some point during that week. And that guy, I caught that coyote, that same coyote, in the field to the west, traveling west and coming back to the feedlot. At the same time of the day, but he was going the other way. How'd that you know was it was his... a different coyote? Was that other one like had some special mange on it or something or what? Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a tendency when I see a coyote, I kind of make a mental note of any kind of anything on that coyote that's different, you know, like maybe fur pattern, maybe something with his tail or, you know, so I kind of make a mental note of which coyote I'm seeing, you know, it's like that time I took you out a couple years ago and I shot that really little dinky one. Yeah. That wasn't the coyote. That wasn't the coyote I had been seeing right there because I told you when we went in there, I'd been seeing a coyote in there, and, and that wasn't the one I'd been seeing either. So, 
and that was the demise of that coyote because I figured out his pattern's going the other way, and I went back and got him like a week later, you know, in that feedlot. So, yeah, but yeah it's, there's it's, there's more coyotes around than just the ones you're seeing. Yeah, you know, you and I talk about that a lot when I've been out hunting with you and just in things. Just you know, really, what are the densities, right? Like, I, you know, I think sometimes, you know, I think there's more coyotes than what we think. You know, I don't, I, I really truly believe that not every coyote's callable, um, regardless whether they've been pressured, not pressured. I don't think it really matters in some instances that, you know, there's, there's certain coyotes you're going to call in and kill and there's others that you're not, you're going to have to, you know, ambush them somehow, road dog them, kill them with the thermal, whatever it is, you know, but it's unique. You know, like you said, you know, you were trying to go after this other cop. Sure enough, there's another one in the area and you whacked it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I don't think that every coyote that hears your call is coming. And it, I just, I wish I could be a fly on the wall where there's a coyote and you're and you're over the hill calling. What's that coyote doing? Is he just kind of sticking his head up and going, well, I don't know if I want to go or, you know, what what's he doing? Is he just laying there? You know, because I've seen coyotes do that before. Like you set up on a on a spot and you'll start calling and the coyote will kind of pick his head up and, you know, and then he'll lay back down or, and then finally you get him to stand up, you can get him shot. But I, I, that's what I always wonder is like, what's he doing over there? Is he thinking about it or what's he doing? You know, cause you can't see him, you know, most of the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that is one of the cool things about this. We or talked earlier about Western kind of more open hunting is you get a chance to see that kind of stuff. Right. I mean, I was trying to think that one time back when we were filming, you know, early on when I first started hunting with you and we were filming for my, the, the coyote craze DVDs. If I remember right, we made a stand one time and we had a coyote. It was kind of some terraces or Hill. And we watched this coyote sit up and look, but he was a long ways away, a thousand yards, maybe further. He obviously could hear the call, but he was like, nah, I'm not, I'm good. I don't want to come that far. And I thought we made a loop around, you know, we made a plan that, you know what, sometimes we just got to get in closer to the coyote to get him to respond and get to come to the call. And we made a loop around on him. And we ended up, you ended up shooting this coyote. I was running the camera, I think. Um, I don't know if you remember that coyote or not, but um, I think that's one. We, I think that's one you put on YouTube, isn't it? it? It's 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 somewhere. I was I remember I just I was running the camera. It might just be on my YouTube channel, um, but but yeah, you just you know, and and that's the crazy thing about when you're talking properties is, you know, your piece might not have the coyote, but the piece right next to it may have the coyotes, right? And you know, depending on where the cover is, you know. I know, you know, you talked about that earlier, like you're driving down the road. What are you looking for out in that section, right? Why are you picking that particular stand on that piece of property? A lot of it has to do with cover, right? Where is there even a spot out there where a coyote could be laid up, where a coyote could be bedded up, you know? You know, some of that stuff we hunt out there, it's like a rabbit couldn't even hide in it, right? In some years. Yeah, I don't know. How many times have I told you before we go into a stand, just keep your mind open on this one? <laughs> Yeah. And sit down, you're, you're looking, you're looking like, where in the world is coyote sitting in here? And all of a sudden, there's two of them coming at you. I mean, within 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting point, too, because if all you ever made was the stands that looked the best, you know, you passing up a lot of coyotes. You know, you and I've talked about that a lot, right? Like sometimes yeah, like, it's just, just a matter of where can, where can we set up and make a call? I mean, a lot of times that's really what it's all about. 
I guarantee you some of the stuff I'm hunting, everybody else drives by and goes, nah, you know, I don't want to hunt that. There ain't no coyotes out there. Because that's what I used to do. I'd drive by it and go, well, no. But when I actually made myself get out there, and actually the first time I ever called this one pasture, it was about three inches of snow on the ground. And I had I had nowhere to sit. I had nothing to hide. So I just sat down in the middle of the pasture and stuck the call out there. And there was it was like looking at the moon. There was nothing out <laughs> on the call. And within 20 seconds, I killed one right at the call. I have no idea where that coyote was laying, where he came from. He was just there within 20 seconds. And that's when I started. That's when I went, okay. I started looking at every section within five miles of that spot and just kind of expanded from there. And that's how I get back. That's one of my best, my best tournament grounds up to this date still. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that, and that's a, that's applicable anywhere, right? I mean, anybody that has ever hunted coyotes, even just a little bit drives by a spot and says, Holy crap, that's gotta be a good spot, right? Look, there's a perfect place to hide the truck. There's a little hill or a little open, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody sees those spots. So, you know, you know, damn well, everybody's going to call those spots, you know, every rolling hills with the yuccas and the sagebrush in it, you know, and the cows are in there. Everybody wants those, but you know, and of course there's coyotes in there and everybody kills them in there, but Eventually, you're going to run them out of there too. You're going to kill all the coyotes in there. You got to, they move, they move out of those fields too. So we had to come down there. I'm gonna, I had to bring the camera guys, and we had to come down there and just film and just say we're just going to purposely make the most crappy looking stands we can possibly make. <laughs> well, I got the, I got some of those kind of stands, man. Yeah, some of it's just, it's just so, so off the wall that you're like, man, I can't believe you even made this call, you know, till so you got two coyotes in the back of the truck, you know? Yeah. It's, it's unique. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, I guess the moral of the story is, is, you know, don't think it's gotta be the most perfect stand. Right. I mean, I've heard this from guys like that's their, their, they, they look too hard. They try to overanalyze it sometimes and they just keep driving past stuff instead of hunting, you know? like nah that doesn't quite look good enough or there ain't quite the perfect spot to sit um you know to me that's part of being a good coyote hunter can i adapt to hunt what that stand gives me right i mean because there's a lot of times i've been hunting with you and we just like okay let's just walk out here and sit down kind of looking at each other and you're like this ain't gonna (laughs) work and then you're right you know we shoot a coyote how many times have you stuck your back on a fence post one of those metal fence posts and, and, and t post yeah went holy cow we're really making this stand you know yeah and you kill a coyote in it it's, it happens all the time yeah that's beauty of that lucky duck man i'm putting that call way out away from me you don't need a lot of cover sometimes you know that's one thing we usually don't have a lot of is uh is cover to hide by yeah well we're gonna have too much cover this year you may not see the guy <laughs> till he's biting the call yeah yeah <laughs> you know the, the years we've been out there in wyoming you know we started going out to wyoming you know quite a few years back and you know i think you joined in shortly you know a few of those years and to me that was always one of the fun things going out there was was when you get in those big big chunks of of blm country that you can just drive and you're like oh that looks like a good let's go let's go explore that right um that's a unique aspect aspect of, of land access to me 
is, you know, same when we go down to Arizona and some of the other places I've been in Nevada and Oregon and, and things like that, where you just, you're driving and you're just like, Oh, that looks cool. Let's go make that. You know? Yeah. There's a whole lot of area up there in Wyoming. It's just so much ground and it's all, it's all good. It all looks good. You know, it's, just, but it's like everywhere else. It's, it does all of it doesn't hold coyotes and you can drive a long way and not see a coyote. <laughs> yeah. You get off on the wrong two track, man. You waste a half a day and you're like, dang, but you know, other days you get on a, the right two track or the right piece of chunk and bam, you're killing coyotes every stand, every other stand. Um, I don't know. It's cool. I, it's, it's, it's unique to me. I, I really like the challenge of that personally, um, you know, is, is just showing up to a new piece of country for the first time and being able to look at it and say, okay, uh, let's, let's look at some probabilities. Let's, uh, you know, let's see where we think this coyote's going to be. If there is one in here, you know, where do we need to set up based off the wind and where we can get the truck hid and everything else. And, and let's go make it and see what happens. That to me, that's one of the most exciting things about coyote hunting. Yeah, the one thing I, I took away from Wyoming the first time I ever went with you was how fast the coyotes came in. They come they come in a lot faster there. And I think it's because they're very territorial out there and there ain't as much food out there. So they hear a rabbit getting in distress. They're coming. They're coming to steal it or they're coming to get it. And that's what I took away was first time I ever went out there with you was how fast it was. And I had to adapt. I I had to work on that, learning how to shoot the coyotes when they're coming in that fast and making it all come together. You already had it down because you already been out there. And of course you're, you're, you're better at it than I am shooting, running coyotes, but man, they just come in so fast and to stop them and get them, get them killed in that with the speed of everything. That's what I, that's, that's where I was introduced to speed of how things work in coyote stands. Yeah. I mean, I've never, uh... Wyoming, I've, I've seen coyotes come from as far as I've ever seen coyotes come from in Wyoming. Nowhere else. I mean, I, I re- you remember that one time we were hunting with Carver, and he, my, that's my middle son, and he was probably, I, he was, I don't know, 12, 10, 12 years old. And there we saw this coyote from, I mean, he spotted him, I don't know, it had to have been over a mile out running, you know. And, and I've always wondered the same thing, like you said, is that because – the food is so scarce that the ones out there are like, ah, I'm passing up this opportunity, you know, or, you know, it's just that they're trying to beat the other coyotes to the call, um, you know, to, to get that rabbit first. I've always wondered that, but man, it's crazy watching them come from that far. Yeah. You remember that, remember that draw we were hunting that time when those two came from upwind, there must've been a 30 mile an hour wind, which is normal for Wyoming, but those coyotes came from at least a mile upwind. I have, how they ever heard that call I, is beyond me. It's that's the testament to a lucky duck. It just that sound carried that far, and they came all the way down that draw yep. miles straight from upwind. Yeah, that was really the first time. You know, this is probably six or seven years ago, I suppose, when that happened. That was really the first time I, up to that point, I had really underestimated how good the ears of a coyote were. Um, you know, and really what they, how far they could hear that sound, how how much that sound penetrates wind, you know, in those sorts of situations, you know? Um, yeah, that was wild. Those coyotes, man. And we were kind of had our heads tucked into our coats cause the wind was blowing so hard, you know, trying to keep our hats on and never really thought they were going to come from that far, but <laughs> here they showed up. Yeah, that was, 
that was eye-opening for me as well, you know. So, and, you know, when you get into Wyoming, it's you hardly ever don't turn the call up to 32. That's how the wind blows there all the time. So, they, maybe they're maybe they're adaptive. Maybe their ears are different. I don't know. It's just it's different there. Yeah, I, w- I wish there was some sort of – it'd be cool to do some testing. I've always thought, like, out in that country, you know, like, set up a call at a mile, you know, or, you know, and if you had, you know, coyotes here like four times better than we do. And, you know, if we sat out there, you know, to really tell in different wind directions, and then all of a sudden you go to a different part of the country, you know, that has timber and, uh, you know, some ag fields down with creek bottoms, and really how does the sound penetrate through the trees? I, I, that's – that's something that we'll never really probably understand, but you know, I don't know. We could get on a whole nother topic about volume here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, Cut it loose, baby. Cut it loose. In my country, I rarely turn it up past 18. So, you know, unless the wind's howling here, but. Well, that's why we kill more coyotes when I run the call. Yeah, that's, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you ever had you ever had a you ever talked about like different angles from the the downwind guy to the guy running the call you ever you ever had a podcast on that talked about that because it's different angles when you're running the call or for when you're sitting because if you you're running the call you got coyotes coming at you they're usually coming like at a like a half a, or three quarters of a triangle you know yep as for downwind, they're coming from any, they could be coming from any directions, totally different angles. You know, and I never, I never hunted, I never hunted downwind until I started hunting with you. I always ran the call. And that was another thing that was a transition for me was the angles of which I had to shoot coyotes compared to the guy at the call. Yeah. I mean, I, it's definitely like um, spotting coyotes, just that. I mean, you get coyotes that are coming. If you get in the right situation, the coyotes are coming straight to the call sometimes that downwind guy, the angle he has, the coyotes are almost running broadside almost. Right. So he spots the coyotes right. sooner. Sometimes, you know, the a coyote running straight at you is hard to spot sometimes, especially in some of this country, you know, gray grass, tan grass, you know, that kind of stuff, cloudy day, whatever it may be. Um, yeah. So it's, it is unique. It's um, you know, I've, I've been the down, down, downwind guy a handful of times over the years, but usually it's, it's it's me on the call so i don't have you have more experience being the downwind guy than i do but yeah the angle is definitely it's a it's a it's definitely a different look for sure no sorry i derailed your podcast there for you You did we got now we're talking about angles of of coyotes approaching the call and that geometry wasn't my strong suit so (laughs) shooting at times you know you know what i thought was going to be cool you know back to the land access thing um, you know, on my Onyx, I, I saw they added like a folder section now, you know, cause originally you, when you pull up your Onyx, you know, and I, I'm not crazy, I don't know, in tune to, to all the, the features of this. So, you know, I got my waypoints and I got some tracks and I outlined some of my properties and, and things like that. So I can see where it's all at, but I've always thought it'd be cool to drop pins wherever we kill a coyote all season long. You know, and but I didn't ever want to do that because it would kind of mess up the whole, you know, I had all these other pins for stands and all that kind of stuff on there. 
But I wonder, I'm going to have to pull this up and mess with it. If I could pull up that separate folder, which basically would give me a blank slate um, on, on the mapping, and then I could start dropping pins wherever we kill a coyote. Be kind of interesting to see where your how your property's laid out versus um, you know where you were killing coyotes throughout the season and or seeing coyotes and plotting and mapping things like that. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I I haven't looked at that in a while. I just look to see who owns owns the ground. <laughs> yeah, you just use that. <laughs> I'm not very techie at times, so <clears throat> you know that's crazy. I was thinking the other day about back before on X, you know, and. and I was actually just cleaning out my garage the other day and I had a whole like tote full of plat ownership maps, you know, and you know, that was the go-to back, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I really started got, you know, getting hot and heavy into, into coyote hunting and understanding that land access and, and developing these relationships, with these landowners was huge, you know, that these plat ownership maps were big. So I was kind of, it brought back kind of some, some old school memories, you know, I was looking through these plat maps and reading my notes and all kinds of stuff I had, had written into these things, you know, but that's really essentially what Onyx did is, is take those maps and overlay it with the land ownership on there, which just is all right there at the palm of our hand now, instead of, uh, you know, scrolling through, through a, a map. Cause I just think when you first started hunting with me, probably back maybe 2010, we were probably using those maps. You know, I use those maps for, you driving UPS, so I'm I've used plat maps for a long time until you know, till Onyx came out. And you know, there's a couple times I had an old map, and you know, that's one thing you got to look into too is make sure you know if the landowner sold uh, sold some ground or not. Because I had an old map one time and was standing on the wrong side of the fence, and the game warden pulled up. And you know, that's <laughs> we've, all, we've all done, you know, I thought I was on the right ground, and well, they sold that six months before and you know i forgot to ask the landowner you know so so you know when you call them in the in the fall and say hey can we come out and coyote not just say hey you know you still got the same ground did you add some did you lose some you know sell some because you don't want to you don't want to be standing on the wrong side of the fence and get a ticket you know that that just ruins it that ruins a hunt oh yeah 100 percent. you know another cool part about about onyx too which you know, when we're talking some of these smaller properties, right? A lot of times, some of these farmers and ranchers, they just don't own that one little chunk. They'll own multiple little chunks scattered around the county, right? In in different areas. And you, in back in the day, I'd go talk to them. Yeah, go ahead and hunt this, you know. And I'd try to look up on the plat map, and I could maybe only see what I see. When when Onyx came out, and I was able to start really just sitting, you know, at my house scanning through things, there were ranches that I had hunted for years property owners I had hunted for years and I found out that they had some of them like twice as much ground as I thought they had because of that, you know, chunks over here. I was hunting an area and I thought that was their border. Right. And I'd hit that fence or whatever, but then looking on Onyx, hell they go another mile or two, you know, and that was always, that was really the cool aspect for me when I started using Onyx was that it really gave me a prim, uh, pinpoint precision, exactly where the boundaries were knowing exactly who, where they owned, what they didn't own. I mean, and opened up uh, a lot of new coyote stands. Well, what's good about that is, you know, you, you start looking around the County and they may only own a quarter section over here. And that the other three quarters might be somebody else's, but all you need is that quarter section to get those coyotes out of that section. I do that a lot where somebody owned a quarter section and I'll call, 
I'll call coyotes off the neighbor's ground right up into that quarter section and kill them and do that all over the place. Yeah, that's a unique thing about coyote hunting, right? It's hard to do any other type of hunting. You know, deer hunting, you got to wait for the damn deer to jump the fence, get on your, you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of, you know, antelope hunting, same thing, elk hunting, a lot of big game hunting. You're, you know, pheasant hunting, you're stuck to just walking that particular piece of property. But that that is always, that's that's a unique thing about coyote hunting is, you know, you have that call radius out there. You know, the call radius is actually scanning onto property that maybe you don't have permission on, but it's calling the coyotes, you know, onto the property that you do have permission on to kill them. That's, you know, 40, se- 40 acres can turn into a one big, you know, half section coyote stand. Pretty easy. Oh, did I lose you again for technical difficulties? Maybe that's a sign. Maybe the podcast yeah. is... You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. You know, you know, you say that a famous coyote, I watched a famous coyote hunter on TV or on a podcast or something one time. He said, hunt the fence lines. You know who that was? <sighs> Don't know. That was <laughs> <laughs> calling the fence lines, right? Calling the yep. fence lines. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like you said, just don't pass it and be like, oh, this guy's only got 40 acres, right? Nah, screw it. I'm going to the next spot, right? Like, well, you know, get in there, set up, you know, give yourself a buffer between the, call the coyotes, to the, boom, shoot them. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, heck, you could, and who knows, maybe the maybe the, the farmer rancher on the other side of the fence doesn't allow anybody to hunt. Um, who knows? Maybe there's all types of guys over hunting on that side and it's not worth a damn, but you never know, right? You never know till you get in there and give it a shot at least just one or two times to see uh, what it's going to produce. Yeah. It, that, that's been my biggest takeaway from all of it was you just don't ever know until you do it. You get out there and trial and error and you figure a lot out by, by calling a coyote out of a place you don't expect one to come. Heck yeah. Well, it's got me all pumped up, man. I'm like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go make some of these stands with you again this fall. Watch Elliot shoot some more coyotes, bring the boys along. Unless we have somebody to drag these coyotes back to the truck for us now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> you having me podcast. Uh, Heck yeah. Uh, no, land access, man. This is the perfect time of year, you know, right here at the beginning of, of the season. You know, this is the time that you start plotting this stuff out, starting to make those calls. Um, you know, before too much longer, these landowners are going to be getting hit up by every single hunter, not just coyote hunters. And, Sometimes the the middle of the the later fall isn't always the best time to to get with these guys, right? Because they're kind of getting inundated now. There's trespassing hunters, and they're just pissed. And you know, so right now, you know, is a pretty good time to get out there and talk to these guys before they start dealing with all these problems that are gonna you know piss them off and maybe tell everybody no, you know, kind of a deal. So, well, not only that, but it's it's good to be the first guy on the state ground to get out there and you know take care of that before the rest of the guys start tromping around on it well anymore that's the guys hunting year round with the thermal probably taking care of that yeah that's true no. oh come <laughs> on now we're now we're bashing the summer thermal hunters we're not gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, well buddy it's been fun man how we'll, long did uh, we did we get enough oh yeah we're minutes? we're sitting sitting at the perfect hour time limit but before i let you go hey you know here here in this eastman's predator pros podcast we have some really great sponsors 
And, you know, Swagger got with me the other day and said, hey, you know, the next guest that comes on, let's hook him up with a Swagger 142. And that's the one you're using, right? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I got. Well, Swagger's going to hook you up with one, man. So I'll get you sent one. So thanks to Swagger for for hooking up our guest for this episode. But want to thank everybody else for listening to this episode. Um, you know, you guys, you know, it's because of you guys listening. It's awesome guests like Brett that that has made this the number one predator hunting podcast out there. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know, those five-star reviews on Spotify, those iTunes reviews, whatever you guys have there, um, those go a long way. Um, you know, like I've said before, our sponsors probably don't sit here and listen to every minute of these podcasts. So they don't know exactly what kind of quality, uh, you know, that these are, but, uh, you know, they do look at those reviews and things like that. So, um, I'd appreciate a, a five-star review. Um, if you guys are loving what you're listening to, um, if you need any more information about myself, the easiest way to get that is to go to the website, which is coyotecraze.com. You can find, um, up, upcoming links or links to upcoming episodes of the last stand. We'll be launching season six here. Uh, coming up in October, so stand by for that on the on the Lucky Duck YouTube channel. Um, if you're wanting information about the Coyote Schools um, or anything else that I do uh, social media-wise, you can go to that website, which is coyotecraze.com. And, of course, we can't do this without our sponsors, so I need to thank all of them for bringing this to you guys. Sig Sauer Optics, Hornady, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Onyx Hunt, Cryptech, Silencer Central, Juniper Mountain Coffee, and Swagger Bipods. And, of course the Eastman's brand for bringing this all to you guys and including it in their whole line of uh, podcasts that they have now. Um, but if you'd like some more information on, on all of that, you can go over to Eastman's.com. So until next time, I want to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you right here next time on the Eastman's predator pros podcast.